Good morning. Welcome to Emmanuel Bible Church. Uh, to begin, to apologize a little bit, we uh, have deviated from the quarterly schedule once again. So if, if, you, if you saw the quarterly schedules that we handed out, we have to apologize to Adam Pauly because uh, the pastoral staff keeps uh, moving our teaching schedule around. So Gary is actually supposed to be teaching today. But uh, we switched because uh, I'll be gone that weekend um, down to Baja. Actually, I'll, I'll be back, but I'll be too tired, too jacked up. So we uh, switched uh, our teaching. Uh, we are back in James chapter 2, verses 8 through 13 this morning. And uh, I really wanted to kind of reset and remind ourselves of the context here, and that we are dealing with partiality or favoritism, and um, that it's bad. Okay, it's not good. <laughs> if you get anything from this morning's message, that's it. Right? There's no good. And um, I want to share a little something from ages past. Uh, a long time ago, actually a, another lifetime ago, when I was a youth pastor, <laughs> oh, I, I, I could still pass for a youth pastor today, but uh, when I was a youth pastor, one of the things that I would share with the youth students was this truism or saying, right, is that Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. Have you heard that before? Christianity is not about do's and don'ts. Um, but what? What is it? It's a relationship. All right. Okay, some people had the same saying to them before in their youth group. Uh, it's not about do's and don'ts, but it's about a relationship, right? And uh, it's, it's, it's a truism, right? It's kind of true. Is it true? Actually, it's not true. Okay? Uh, it's kind of true, but as we will see from the passage today, that standing right before us, there's do's and don'ts. And so to say that Christianity is not about do's and don'ts uh, would not be wholly true, because we see in our text this morning that... There is do's and don'ts. And one of the key things to understand is that we will be judged by those do's and don'ts. But that, and here's the part that it is true, it is a relationship. Now that do and don't is in the context of a relationship. It's in the context of a relationship with a living God. And it is within that context of having a relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, that now we live out those things that are expressed in His will, the things that He desires for our lives, the things He desires for His people. And as you see this section, you can really see the heart of James for his people as he's shepherding these early Christians. 
And as they try to navigate, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus Christ? How do we go about living for him in this world? And I think one of the early problems that he saw in the church was divisiveness. And divisiveness based upon appearance. Appearance based upon their social economic status. And this is the section that is before us this morning. I'm going to read for us these verses, pray, and then we're going to get into the text. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we go into his word this morning. And Lord, we do come to you asking that you would enlighten us to your truth this morning, especially in regards to partiality, that we would be able to mortify the sin within our own lives and in the life of this congregation, and generally in the life of your church universal. Pray that you would profit our time this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our outline this morning. And if you can't see that, there's five points, okay? Basically, just going through these verses. First point is, if you're obeying the law, you're doing well. If you're obeying the law, you are doing well. You see here the transition If you really, and really, uh, right off the bat, we need to point out uh, that uh, in terms of the translation, you can can have that translation, okay? That's one way of looking at it, and that's the way our ESV has translated. But I think the better translation is found in the New American Standard version, Version, where it says, if however you are fulfilling the law. I really believe that he's contrasting. It's an adversative here. And if you, however, are fulfilling the law. Uh, and th- this is the reason why I believe that this is the better translation. Seven other times this word is used um, in the New Testament. And all seven other times it's used in the adversative. And uh, really, I don't see a reason why that we need to change that here as we transition from verse 7 or 6 and 7 to here in verse 8. And so the idea here is that um, you have dishonored the poor man. However, you are doing well if you fulfill the royal law. Okay? And so he's pointing out that um, 
for those that have dishonored, they're doing bad, okay? But if you are, in fact, fulfilling the royal law, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself, okay, you are doing well, right? And he's pointing to the fact that as believers, we need to live by a different principle, right? Another principle beyond just looking out for ourselves, and especially in regards to uh, our socioeconomic status. And the previous context here, the previous section, was pointing out that believers, in the very first verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, you see, my brothers. And he's identifying who he's talking to. It's people within the congregation, within the church. And what they were basically doing was showing partiality. And that let's remind ourselves of the definition. Okay? Partiality is to literally to receive the face. And it's to make a judgment based upon appearance. And this is what the congregation or some members of the congregation were possibly doing. That as they saw the rich man coming into their congregation, they were giving preference because of his appearance. And because of the poor man's appearance, they would treat him in a, in a different way. And so this was the problem that James was addressing. That is not so uncommon even in our midst today. Isn't it true that um, we often uh, do this inadvertently or sometimes deliberately? And this is what we'll see is happening. Is that... Um, you know, we, we like to get ahead, don't we? We like to um, often be with our own kind, right? And uh, uh, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, we, we tend to do that. And um, one of the things that I noticed is, like, even in our church, if you're in finance, you head to the finance guys, if you're a healthcare worker, you head to the healthcare workers. We we had a healthcare worker uh, meeting this morning. Before our <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad thing all the time, right? Uh, right, that uh, we we gravitate toward those that are like us. Okay, but this is uh, an action based upon appearance, so that there's an advantage to yourself, okay? And to the, to the uh, disregard of those that are um, poor, okay? And so this is what James is talking about, that as believers, we should not be doing that. We should not be treating um, other Christians uh, based upon their economic status of how much they make or how much they don't make, okay? That's a very um, pointed reminder for us to keep in mind as we interact with one another. And this was a problem in the early church, and this is something that James is pointing out and is applicable for us today, okay? So 
But he transitions here in verse 8, is that what is then the antidote? What is the answer to not being partial, to being uh, or showing partiality? And that is to fulfill the royal law, right? And it is to fulfill uh, the, the command to love. Now, as you see that in, in our context here, in verse 8, you might believe that uh, this royal law is referring to the Old Testament law, but you'd be mistaken. Uh, now, the reason why you would is because it's based upon Leviticus 19, 18. And uh, it, it is a citation from there, but I think you'd be missing the larger point and the context of this whole section. Right before, in verse 25, you see this idea of the law of liberty. And right after this verse, in verse 12, you're going to see that same term. Okay, And right in the middle is this term royal law. And I really, really believe it's all three of those things are referring to the same thing. Which is, as we pointed out when we went over verse 25, is that it's the whole of God's word, especially within the context of the gospel. And it is the gospel now and, and, and the entire word of God that is being expressed here. And it's distilled in the idea of loving God and loving others. Matthew chapter 22, you can turn there. And this is a reference that uh, Jesus makes to Leviticus 19.18. Okay. And he couples it with Deuteronomy 6. And he says this in verse 37. He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So we see that all of God's law, all of his expressed will is distilled into these two commands. And so James's point here is that if we are faithful to the commands of his will and his word, that is, we are loving God and, 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 and uh, each other, we will not discriminate against the poor. We won't show partiality. So that's the positive. That's the antidote to partiality, right? It's, again, not a do and don't, right? This, you, 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 in order for us to stop being partial, there has to be a proactive action of love. And this is what I think is being expressed here in verse 8, is that as we have met Jesus, have been transformed by Him, and are now filled with the Holy Spirit, now we are able to do his express will as found in his word and what he has commanded us to be and to do. And it, that is to love, right? simply to love. And as we do that, in its truest form and in its truest sense, we are able to keep ourselves from showing favoritism. That is the answer to prejudice, to partiality, to favoritism. In this direct context here, of course, it's based upon the socioeconomic status, but 
in regards to anything in terms of a parent's ethnicity, race, okay, any of those things that plague God's church today, the antidote, of course, is to love God and each other. This is what we are called to be and to do. Right? It is in the context now of this relationship that we are able to do these do's and don'ts. We don't show favoritism and we do love. There is, as we, um, there's a choice to be made as we have met Jesus, as we are confronted by him, and um, as we navigate this life, and in the context of this church, what does it, what is it that God wants me to be and to do uh, with my brothers and sisters? And it's definitely not to gravitate, which is very easy, toward each other that are just like, kind. Especially in regards to our economic status. Um, it, you know, I, uh, I, I've been around um, rich people. Not mega rich people, but, you know, kind of rich people. I mean, even here in this church, okay, as you think about the people with uh, a certain amount of degrees. I think about 75% of this congregation have some kind of advanced degree or another. Okay. And with that, that, that uh, uh, hard work okay, uh, comes privilege. You, most of us have good jobs, which pay uh, pretty good money. We're thankful for that because... Uh, you guys are very generous givers. Okay. And uh, I think that is a blessing for this church. Okay. But if we were to um, you know, just gravitate toward ourselves and be with each other, one of the things that um, I saw in my own family, okay, um, now I'm talking about my aunties and uncles, and I have a lot of them on both sides of my uh, father and my mother. And one of the things that has happened is there's uh, arises, you know, over, over uh, periods of years, uh, issues about money, okay? And, um, you know, some uncles are richer than other uncles and aunties, vice versa, right? And uh, I, I noticed that some of the uncles that are rich don't like to hang out with uh, the poorer uncles. They like to hang out with the, the rich uncles amongst themselves. I go, why? Why? One of the things was that um, they didn't like to pay for the, the, the poor uncle. <laughs> I'm just pointing that out. It's just a reality, isn't it? Okay. Um, and that, uh, that, that is one dynamic that, that's just a part of, of life, right? Is that um, we base our relationships sometimes based upon uh, money, okay? Now, you know, I don't know if it was nefarious or it was just, you know, um, 
just a one-time thing. Uh, but uh, for believers within the, the church context, we should not be having that kind of attitude or base our preferences, our relationships, our engagement toward one another based upon socioeconomic status. We need to understand the heart of God. And the heart of God is that we love Him and each other. And that would be the only antidote for us to keep ourselves from showing partiality. Now here in verse 9, let's transition. What did I say there? Okay, so there you go. There's the point, okay? <laughs> if you love, you're not being partial, right? I need to be better with this clicker. Okay. Number two in verse nine. If you break the law, you are sinning and a transgressor. Transgressor, okay? If you show partiality, but, and here's another adversative, presenting the contrast between those that love and not show partiality and those that do. But if you show partiality towards one another, then you violate the law of love. And in fact, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The sin of partiality, the sin of favoritism violates God's law of love. If you continue to do this, then you are sinning. Okay? You are sinning. Now, there's two words that we need to point out here. The first word is sin. It's a general word for any violation or neglect of God's standard. Okay? And this is the general word used throughout uh, the Scripture, particularly in the New Testament. And uh, it's this... It's serious enough by itself to condemn us, condemn us to be away from God and cast into hell, right? But the other word here is to refer to one that is deliberate in disobedience, okay? It's a deliberate disobedience to an, an express command or will of Scripture, in other words, it is an egregious, purposeful, intentional sin. Okay? It is not something that you've stumbled upon, that you did accidentally, okay? but it is something that was done purposefully, deliberately. Showing favoritism is a high-handed sin if you continue to do that as a part of your life. It is one that is shaking your fist at the, at the will of God and saying, I know better. I'm better than you. I know what to do here. I don't care what you say. I'm going to continue to do it.
it's a great reminder for us that in the, the face of um, the push for uh, multiculturalism today, okay, I think there's, there's uh, a goodness to that and some dangers, right? I think today the idea of inclusivity, right, and uh, being... Uh, like, what is that? What am I trying to express here? <laughs> Inclusive, okay? It's a good thing, generally, okay? But I think sometimes it comes at the expense of uh, disregarding sin, disregarding the expressed will and desire of God, right? And uh, I think that's the danger, is that we include everyone at the, expre- at the uh, expense of God's standard and His revealed will for us. I think the good part about it is that uh, you know, there's an awareness that we should not be homogeneous, that is, all of the same kind. That we should be more intentional about looking at people and um, engaging with them that are different from us. And I think that is something to be learned by the general culture at large. That is good. But the danger and the negative part of it is that we don't allow for sin to be neglected or to be disregarded. I think that is the balance that we need to keep. If you find yourself in the context of this church um, you know, like one of the things that we're trying to teach our kids um, you know, the whole high school scene and, and navigating uh, going to high school, there's different cliques, there's different things like that. And there's a thing called, in Korean, there's a thing called, uh, a term called nunchi, right? And it's the ability to kind of figure out and navigate uh, who's who, what's what, right? And you kind of, it's, it's the idea of getting a sense of that person's cool, that person's not. Okay. And, uh, you know, so there's all those dynamics in high school where there's a cool group, there's the non-cool group. But again, I guess in the age of inclusivity, everybody's cool now. But uh, um, even in the church scene, as we engage with one another and, you know, Try to do life. Try to do sanctification. Try to move us toward conforming each other toward the image of Christ. We need to be mindful of who we are doing that with. And that we are not basing it upon appearance. That, oh, they're too poor for me. Or they're not cool enough for me. Or they're not this enough for me. 
That is a high-handed sin if you are doing that. Okay? If you are doing it based upon what it can get you and based upon the appearance of your fellow believers here, it's a high-handed sin. Don't do it. Verse 10. Here it functions the 4 in verse 10 to explain how serious it is to break God's standard, especially in the matter of partiality. Okay. Um, he gives us an example. Okay. And, don't, and I think the section in verse 10 and 11 is to get rid of this wrong thinking that this sin is a small sin. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. I think James is trying to point out that there could be this false notion among believers that certain commands of God are of lesser importance and partiality being one of them. In fact, there was rabbinical teaching of these heavier and these lighter laws. And so it could have filtered into the church because many of them were Jewish. And to kind of lessen the importance of some standards and, and commands and regard others as much more important. And what James is pointing out is, is that it is not. God would still consider the person that shows partiality to be a lawbreaker. He is guilty of the whole. Look at in verse uh, 11. Let's, let's transition quickly here. For he who said, do not commit adultery, he... He also said, do not commit murder. But if you do not commit murder, but do, I mean, adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. The law, God's standard, especially his standard of love, is a unit whole, is a whole unit. Neglecting any part of it violates the entire thing. It's linked. It's like a chain. At any point that it's broken, the whole thing falls apart. The reason why that is so is because there's a lawgiver behind the law. And as he has expressed what he desires at any one point that it is not met you are transgressing against the lawgiver so remember when we said at the outset that it is a relationship it's in the context of that relationship that we live our do's and don'ts because 
Quite frankly, we can't. We can't do it perfectly. We will always fail. And it is to the perfect lawgiver that we go to him for grace and for mercy. But nevertheless, if, if in fact we do uh, um, break one, the point is that we break them all. Here's a good reminder here, verse 3. We can't pick and choose our obedience. This, finish the sentence. Favoritism isn't as bad as what? Think in your own mind. Lying isn't as bad as Cheating isn't as bad as, and this is the illustration that James is giving here. Say you don't uh, murder, you you say you don't adultery, flip it around, you do either one, you've broken the other, right? It's a unit, it's a whole. And as we think in our own mind, like, you know, saying that lie is not as bad as killing somebody. And I would agree with you, yeah. Okay, but to the lawgiver. And really, my opinion doesn't count, right? It's God's opinion that counts. And before God, all of us are guilty because we've broken even these so-called minor ones. So all the more, we should... I think the point that James is making here is don't lessen the standard of God's will. Okay? Partiality is wrong. Don't think that, oh, you know, I'm not committing adultery. I'm just showing a little favor to someone over here. The idea is that all of these things are connected. So we need to really have a paradigm shift, right? We need to love, love, as God loves, and we don't discriminate based upon appearance. <clears throat> so don't, for us, I think one of the, the admonishment here from this verse is that we don't diminish the standard of God. And this is what I mean. You know, we live in the age of grace, and uh, because we don't often see the immediate ramifications of our sin. So like, for example, you lie and then what? Did lightning strike you? No. Okay. Or in fact, you committed adultery, and what? Did you get venereal disease? No. Often, in this lifetime, in this world, in this age of grace, we don't see the immediate effect or the immediate judgment for our sins. And we fall into this lie and this trap that's saying, look, oh, you know, Grace will cover that. It's subtle, but sometimes we think that way. And we live that way. I think the point of passages like these is to make us aware to live carefully, even in the age of grace. And we'll talk about this later, but there's a judgment for this. When we adopt Jesus as our Lord and Savior, well, when, when he adopts us. There's a whole paradigm shift. We, there's an accounting for our lives. And this is what the rest of these verses reveal, verse 12 and 13. Look at verse 12. 
There's freedom in obedience. There's freedom in obedience. The law of liberty liberates believers from sin and death to serve and worship God freely. James has established that um, showing favoritism is a transgression and sin. Now he exhorts his brothers to live in light of the coming judgment. Okay? So speak, so do. It's comprehensive. It's all of the outward actions that we're able to do. It's in the present imperative to keep on doing. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For the believer, the law is no longer seen as a yoke of bondage. You see there, you can look at Galatians chapter 5 later. But as we place our faith in our Lord Jesus, uh, there's a new law, a law to freely obey Him. We were under the bondage of sin. All we could do was sin before Christ. But in Christ, we are now able to live in and through Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what liberates us from sin and death, but also to live and speak and serve and worship God freely. Obeying God now is a freedom that the believer has. We are able to do it uh, with His power, of course. Okay. You see that there will be judged. We'll be judged under the law of liberty, under His standard, under His word that we will be judged. There's a couple of things we need to point out here. Okay. Um, as we transition to uh, verse 13. There's one judgment. Okay. Uh, now, some would argue that there's two. There's a great white throne and what's called the Bema Seat Judgment. Okay. And the Bema Seat is relegated for uh, for believers only. But really, if you look at the text in Revelation 20, uh, we are under the great white throne judgment as well. Okay. And in Revelation 20, the emphasis there is what he has done. If you look at Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 6, what he has done. All of us, and this is what I was talking about before, we will be judged in accordance to what we have done. Now, the difference is, is that our judgment is not a condemning judgment. We will still be judged for what we have done in this lifetime. And this is what I mean by living carefully, by living circumspectly. Just because we have been saved by grace doesn't give us the license to sin and live like a free bird. Or not carefully, put it in another way. We will all be judged for what we have done. 
God will reveal to us, for those that are believers, what indeed was done for him or for ourselves. And it's not condemnatory, meaning it's not heaven or hell, but it is rewards. But for the unbeliever, it is condemning. Look there, verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. I really believe this is explanatory. Okay. Um, the idea is that we re- that uh, you better take seriously the need to speak and act. That the knowledge of God, with the knowledge that God will judge you, if you don't show mercy. And what it reveals is that you never were shown or believed in his mercy. And on the flip side, mercy triumphs over judgment. Just to show that, uh, that those who show mercy need not fear judgment. Those who show mercy will in fact receive mercy and not fear judgment. So the question before us this morning is do we show mercy? Do we show or do we show favoritism? Are we making um, relationships based upon our appearance for the purpose of our own gain, or are we doing it for the glory of God? Are we, in fact, showing love to those that need love? Often those that are poor, that are not in a position uh, to give you favor. It is because that they are in this position that we need to show mercy as his people. If we have been transformed by the grace of God, by his mercy, we in turn need to show mercy to others. This day, this morning, as we evaluate ourselves, is it with a sense that um, I indeed desire to live for Him and thus not show partiality? Or will we continue to live by our own standards and live, uh, you know, just people that we're comfortable with? that can show us favor, that can scratch our backs when we scratch theirs. Brothers and sisters, we really need to evaluate ourselves in light of God's standard. And that standard is love. Are we truly loving one another? Is there um, lenses to look at each other Besides our socioeconomic status, 
Or is it just based upon our own, what we can get out of it? We need to look through the lens of Jesus Christ. Pray that this morning, as we prepare ourselves for the receiving of the elements, that you would make that evaluation. Okay? To see, in fact, you are violating, you are sinning, you, or you are a transgressor of the law, or not. So, bow with me now. We're going to transition to the time of communion. Pastor Nam is going to come up and, and lead us in that time. But just take this moment to um, pray to the Lord, think deeply, and uh, let me close this time uh, of our time in the Word with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that uh, you, in fact, reveal to us your standard for which we, we ought to live. We pray, Lord, that we don't do it by our own willpower, but we really rely upon your mercy and your grace. May that really move us, empower us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live lives for you, especially in this area of partiality. Help us to be men and women that look through the lens of Christ and we are able to truly love one another uh, by your enablement. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.